Shall we continue in sin that the grace of God may flourish? Does unbelief cancel God's grace? Are we to keep the law of Moses today while under grace? And does Paul introduce a new paradigm for justification here in Romans chapter 3? Greetings, I'm Dr. Paul Felter. Welcome to the Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth podcast. My YouTube channel is Primal Bible. Here and on YouTube, I expose church fallacies and flawed Christian traditions with Bible truth. I let the Bible speak for itself. If you appreciate the video podcast, please consider subscribing. Also, please visit my website, breadoflife.media. That's breadoflife.media for additional resources, including my free PDF chart of your Bible, Rightly Divided. The Apostle Paul left off in chapter 2 saying that the issues of the heart are what matter, not simply being a Jew or outwardly religious. Let's pick up the train of thought here in verses 1 and 2. Quote, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. End quote. So was there an advantage to being a Jew in Paul's day? Paul says, yes, for the Jews were given the oracles of God. That's the law of Moses. The law of Moses was never given to Gentiles. If a Gentile wanted to be saved, he had to convert to Judaism, be circumcised, and keep the commandments of the law. He had to become a proselyte. Even Jesus told the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, quote, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. John 4.22 The Jews had a distinct advantage over Gentiles, having been given the law of Moses, and by being immersed in the law of God from their youth. Verse 3, quote, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? End quote. God gave the law of Moses to Israel, but there were some that did not believe nor follow the law of God. Did that mean that there was something flawed with the law of God? Did their unbelief nullify the law? Paul answers his own question in verse 4. Quote, God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. End quote. God forbid, in other words, no. The unbelief of some Jews did not nullify the plan of God. God is true and his law is true. If people exercise their free will, deciding not to believe God, that has no effect on the truthfulness and faithfulness of God as he is true. People lie, God does not. Our words and sayings should uphold God and the gospel of grace, not the traditions of men that are based on lies. Verses 5 and 6, quote, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? End quote. If the unrighteousness of man proves or illustrates or magnifies the righteousness of God, then why should God take vengeance? Isn't unrighteous man providing a service to God, demonstrating the perfection of his righteous law? Well, the obvious answer is no. God is not unrighteous to take vengeance upon sinful man because the law was given both to define unrighteousness, that is sin, and to set the perfect standard of God's righteousness. 
God's perfect law, being glorified in contrast to man's sin, only reveals the total depravity of man to which the law was given. Mankind chose to do evil even after God gave the law, so man is without excuse and fit for judgment. Verses 7 and 8, quote, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged a sinner? And not rather, as we being slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, Let us do evil, that good may come, whose damnation is just. End quote. Paul had been preaching the gospel of grace for many years, and some accuse him of what we call today cheap grace. Some said, Let us do evil, let's sin even more, that increasing glory may abound to God, from the contrast of man's sin and God's perfect law. If that proposition be so, then why is man judged as a sinner? Isn't God's glory enlarged, juxtaposition with man's sin? The proposition is laughable and must be rejected. Anyone that thinks grace to be a license to sin, or that God's glory is enhanced by their sin, does not understand grace, and needs to validate their own salvation. Verse 9, quote, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jew and Gentile, that they are all under sin. End quote. In the end, are the Jews better off than Gentiles? Paul says no, for he has shown that the Jews could not keep the law of Moses, and the Gentiles are natural pagans. Therefore, all are under the burden and penalty of sin. Verses 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They have all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable, and there is none that doeth good, no, not one. End quote. Paul quotes the Old Testament frequently. Here he quotes, Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Psalm 53, verse 3. The Jews at Rome were probably not pleased with Paul's writing, but it's the truth. Most people pursue their own desires and not the Lord. Most believers in America and Europe are playing church on Sunday, but simply do their own thing the rest of the week. They give lip service to God on Sunday, then follow their own fleshly and worldly desires till the game is played a week later. Verse 13 and 14, quote, Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. End quote. Paul uses some blunt, harsh language here to describe those that rebel against God, but it's again the truth. I can't imagine the stench of an open sepulcher, but that's how the Lord describes the throat of liars and blasphemers. Poison is in their mouth, and what they say blasphemes God and leads others astray. And all that comes from their ungodly dark heart. What comes forth from the mouth originates in the heart and mind. Whatever controls your mind controls your tongue. We should have the mind of Christ. Verses 15 and 16, quote, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, end quote. Sin makes one worse and worse. At some point driving people to sexual perversion and violence, look no further than the Church of Rome with widespread homosexuality and pedophilia. We see people today that kill and hurt without a lick of remorse or regret. Their lives are miserable and everything they do seems to come to ruin. Then they blame others or God for their bad luck. 
but their bad luck is preceded by a string of bad choices. Verses 17 and 18. Quote, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. End quote. There is no peace in their lives or in their heart. There is continual strife and tension. They may appear cool, calm, and collected on the outside, but inwardly there is a battle raging. They have no peace. They have no fear of God, no fear of the coming judgment upon their soul when they stand before a holy God. They seem oblivious to it all, but deep down they know. This is why so many people like this turn to drugs and alcohol. They want to remove that internal strife. Verses 19 and 20, quote, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith unto them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we're getting close here to where Paul is going to introduce a new paradigm. The law was given to Israel as they are under the law. But with or without the law, the whole world is guilty before God. Since the law could not save Israel and did not generate righteousness in Jew or Gentile, God declares that by the deeds of the law shall no one be saved or justified in his sight. The purpose of the law was to define sin. However, the just, the saved, shall live by faith. Up to this point, Paul's conversation focuses on the law of Moses. From chapter 2, verse 12, to this point in chapter 3, Paul references the law 25 times. But in the next verse, verse 21, Paul begins his transition from the law of Moses to the doctrine of grace. Watch how Paul the Apostle boldly introduces grace to the Jews and proselytes at Rome. Verse 21 and 22, quote, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. End quote. Verse 21 is a pivotal verse as Paul begins with the phrase, but now. That means that something has changed. Something new is being introduced. The old way of the law is fading away and something better comes. Righteousness will now come without the law. It will come by faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. And this faith is for Jew and Gentile alike, for there is no longer any difference in God's sight. Paul is stating here that there is now no difference between Jew and Gentile. This must have come as a shock to the Jews and proselytes in Rome. This paradigm shift was unprecedented. For 1,500 years, a separation existed between the Jew and the Gentile. Now Paul comes along and declares that there is now no difference between people that God previously separated. You must understand the importance of this shift away from the law of Moses to the grace of God. Verses 23 and 24, quote, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. End quote. Here is another point in the paradigm shift from law to grace. In verse 24, Paul uses the word grace for the first time in the book of Romans. In verse 23, Paul says again, 
that all, both Jew and Gentile, are under the condemnation of sin and come short, way short, I might add, of measuring up to God's standard of glory and holiness. Since the law could not save sinners, the only option left is grace, expressed and released by God through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Also, Paul introduces the concept of grace being free with the phrase justified freely by his grace. The law of Moses was never free. It required observance of the Sabbath, the feast days, presenting a sacrifice to the priests at the temple, and keeping the commandments throughout your entire life. Only then might a Jew be deemed acceptable in the sight of God. Verse 25 and 26, quote, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. End quote. God has now replaced the keeping of the law as a sign of the believer's faith with simple faith in the blood of Jesus as the propitiation or the appeasement of God's wrath and hatred of sin. In other words, the judgment and wrath of God against sinners is satisfied by the blood of Christ for those that believe, having faith in Jesus' atoning death on the cross. Those that believe in Jesus are now justified before God by the blood of Christ, not observance to a law they could never keep anyway. Verse 27, quote, Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, by the law of faith. End quote. Can believers boast of this newfound salvation through grace? No, not at all. Grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve grace. We didn't earn grace. So there's no room for boasting. Salvation through grace is a free gift from God through Jesus Christ. Our only boasting should be in God for providing such a wonderful free gift. Verse 28, quote, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. End quote. Paul summarizes this new message of grace. He began in verse 21 with the conclusion that a man is right before God by faith and not the works of the law of Moses. This is a huge paradigm change for Jews that have been trying to keep the law for 1,500 years. This is unprecedented. Verse 29 and 30, quote, Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. End quote. The Lord is the God of both the Jew and Gentile. This is also a new concept as previously Gentiles had to convert to Judaism, be circumcised, and keep the law of Moses to be saved. But now Gentiles can be saved as Gentiles by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith matters in this new paradigm, not circumcision. Verse 31, quote, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. End quote. Even though we are not under the law, we establish the law. Well, what does Paul mean by establish the law? To establish something means to uphold, to sustain, to confirm or verify. 
The law of Moses established the fact that all mankind are sinners and cannot, via their own effort, please God. We have all established that fact in our own lives. The fact that we must have God's grace through faith establishes the formal accusation of sin the law places on sinful mankind. The law confirms that we are sinners and upholds our deserving of death. But the grace of God triumphs over the condemnation of sin via the law. Well, thank you for joining me. That concludes this video podcast on Romans chapter 3. Be sure to subscribe to my channel and click the notification bell for upcoming videos and podcasts. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give a like. See you next time in Romans 4. God bless.